As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash mpn to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash mpn. Terms and conditions apply. Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy, but you know what is? Going to Aruba. All you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools, relaxing white sand beaches, and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face. You won't just feel great, you'll all feel great, filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your family trip at aruba.com. This is the Marketing Podcast Network. Stories influence, teach, and inspire us. But what about the storytellers who create them? Uncorking a Story profiles storytellers to uncover how their background and life experiences influence the stories they create. We learn what motivates them, their path to success, and what fuels them to keep creating. It all starts by asking one simple question, where does your story begin? Welcome to Uncorking a Story. Now here's your host, Mike Carlin. Well, hello and welcome to Uncorking a Story. I'm your host, Mike Carlin, and today I'm excited to introduce you to a power duo of Carl Fix and Rosemary Ravinal. Uh, they are both joining me to talk about the difference, essays on loss, courage, and personal transformation. Rosemary, I'm afraid I may have mispronounced your last name. So, <laughs> Ravenel, Rosemary Ravenel. Rosemary, it, it rolls off the tongue so much better than than my uh, my version. So, welcome uh, both Rosemary and Carl to Uncorking a Story. Thank, Thank you, you for, for having us, us, Mike. Yes, and that's what I love when I do duos. Yeah, everyone talks at the same time, so I have to remember. Uh, to keep uh, to keep that in mind, uh, Rosemary, I'm gonna gonna uh, pick on you first. Where does your story as an editor and author begin? Ah, well, in all of my career, I've been in communications and public relations, writing for other people, and it has been the last decade, perhaps, that I've just decided that enough of doing other people's bidding and making other people look good, I'm gonna do my own. And slowly over the last 10 or so years, I've started to migrate away from, from doing the career or exercising the career that I've trained all my life to do, communications professional, and start really telling my story and, and capturing my, my, my stories, but in ways that I really didn't know I would, how I would repurpose them. So following the guidance of a lot of writers and memoirists and such, I started just recording with no purpose whatsoever to just start you know, doing voice memos and just jotting down notes in random places. And then at some point, collecting them and putting them into something that's coherent and that makes sense. But it took a long time for me to be able to get to that 
discipline of doing it for myself. And so my writing journey started really back in high school. I've always written and I've always had great ability to articulate in writing and as well as being a communications in front of camera, doing television work and so forth. But the real challenge was doing it for myself. And so my journey as, as it relates to the difference is that what I wrote about is my seven-year-old self leaving Cuba against my will, thankfully traveling with my parents to start a whole new life with just one suitcase uh, among us three, uh, leaving everything behind. It's not a totally original story. Millions of Cubans and other exiles from other countries have done the same, but my story is my own unique one. And so I had never really, really captured that in some ways, maybe because of emotional blockage, I sort of put it aside. But as I started to scrape away sort of the rust of time, I started to really become more attuned to the, to the details, the smells, the sounds of what I experienced at seven years of age, leaving Cuba and coming to a totally different world. And so that I feel very proud that I was able to finally extract that from memory and put it in the pages of the book. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to dig into that a little bit more. But before I do, I want to turn my attention over to Carl. Carl, how about you? Where does your uh, story as, as a writer and contributor to uh, to this work begin? Well, the story begins, uh, Mike, as, as a young kid, I always enjoyed reading and I have enjoyed reading my entire life. And, uh, you know, Stephen King says, if you don't have the time to read, you don't have the time or the tools to write. Simple as that. And I've, I've always been a prodigious reader and I practiced law for 31 years and I wrote as a lawyer, uh, legal, a lot of legal briefs and other things. And I enjoyed that, but that was very linear, as you can well imagine. It's very rigid. Uh, I would now and again uh, try to spice it up. I remember I wrote a brief once, and my opening line was, uh, I was quoting Jefferson Airplane's White Rabbit, uh, when logic and proportion have fallen sloppy dead. And one of my partners said, you can't start a brief that way. And I said, well, why not? So I would try to have a little fun with the legal writing, but it was very linear. And then about two years ago, uh, Rosemary and Akeem really lit the fuse when they invited me to contribute. Uh, and off we went. And uh, it's been a wonderful collaboration. And I've, I've really enjoyed uh, the non-linear, non-legal writing. So um, that's it in a nutshell. You know, if you, if you look in, in all the authors, and I think I'm up to 290-something at this point in time, who I've had on this show... Um, and if I looked at all of their backstories and, and prior careers to becoming, you know, uh, writers, so many of them were lawyers. Um, I've interviewed I'm in the double digits now of people who have left the field of law to pursue uh, a career, uh, careers as uh, as writers and published authors. I think uh, there's definitely something there. There's some overlap between, you know, working in the legal profession and then having this creative, you know, bug inside you to which, which many people let out maybe a little bit later in life sometimes, but. Right. And then, and, and uh, I mean, it's good training, but, you know, back to the reading for, for a minute, uh, there, there's a lot of downtime in court. I, I was, I was in court a lot and there's a lot of downtime. I would always bring a book, uh, whether it was a fiction or nonfiction. And while waiting for my case to be called to argue whatever motion, I would simply read. And, uh, if I have a book, I can sit anywhere and 
not kill time, but enjoy the time. It's on the, on the subway or in an, air, uh, an airport terminal. If I have a book, I'm good. You know, it'd be funny or uh, ironic or, or maybe this is a silly joke, but if you were reading like litigation for dummies, you know, in between, you know, I think that would be, that would be kind of funny, actually, that maybe not instill confidence in your clients, but um, certainly that's where my head goes. Well, it reminds me, Mike, uh, one Christmas, my family got me a book, uh, the lawyer's book on ethics. And when you opened it up, it was 100 blank pages. <laughs> That's funny. Um, Rosemary, what's the backstory to, uh, to this book, The Difference? Um, mm. What's the backstory to it? You know, it, it, it started as a conversation between friends. Uh, Akeem Nowak, my co-editor, uh, is uh, it, it, well, he's a brilliant man, and, and we have had the good fortune to collaborate on a number of things. Uh, some, some storytelling events live that we do in Miami, uh, we have been part of the same uh, book clubs, and so uh, we had great confidence in each other's ability to execute against an idea. But the idea was Akeem's, because he was reflecting on all the people who he's coached and all the people that he's, he's met in his growing circle of, of uh, global um, leaders in different fields and saying, what, what is the common thread among them? And with that commonality comes the differences. And so he was wondering, we were just having a sort of a brainstorm conversation. What is, what makes the difference in someone's life? What is that catalyst event, person, moment of uh, epiphany, whatever it is that really is a transformative event that brings that person closer to his or her truth? Because ultimately that's where we all want to go. And what sets us on the path? And then we started to say, well, Let's, let's try to find people who can actually articulate that idea. Who do we know? So we started making these lists of people. Who can we invite to tell stories? Because we felt that it was something that really needed to be a collaboration. And in that collaboration was the richness of the content. Not his story, my story. We felt that someplace there would be room for our story. But the concept was to have an anthology of sorts and bring in different voices. But very different voices. The differences being their commonalities to find the oneness. And then we started making lists of people and uh, he had mine, I, I had, you know, he had his, I had mine and comparing, well, this one's a good writer, this one. And so it started, it wasn't all that difficult. It just started to congeal. And then suddenly we had these eight remarkable people who said yes, and whose voices were very different ethnically, uh, age-wise, professions. And then it came together as this wonderful uh, bouquet of, of voices. The process then of, of starting to work with an editor and finding a publisher, we were very fortunate to have Balboa Press, which is an imprint of Hay House, uh, accept this project. And over the last almost two years, it's been a labor of love to bring this together to actually then have it in, in an actual book. Uh, the joy of opening that box, I can imagine, I'm sure many of your guests have expressed that, getting that first box from the publisher, opening it up and seeing that it's, it's there, it's, it's tangible evidence of all that work is very gratifying. It's a, yeah, it becomes all the more real when, when you have it uh, uh, in your hands, as I have yours in my hands right now. Uh, Carl, how did you get involved with this? It sounds like it was an invitation from Rosemary. And, you know, just talk a little bit about, you know, how, how you, your paths crossed. 
I, I was introduced to Akeem and in turn introduced to Rosemary uh, when, I, when I pivoted out of the law in May of 21 after, uh, again, 30 plus years. Uh, I was in this community and uh, a coach that I was working with uh, re- uh, introduced me to Akeem and again, in turn to Rosemary. And I've been uh, posting once a week on LinkedIn and Facebook and Akeem struck and I struck up a friendship. Uh, he had me on his podcast. He is a fan of my writing. And he, uh, again, about two years ago, asked me if I would be willing to contribute. And I was honored to do that. And I very much looked forward to it. And it's been everything and more uh, the whole experience, meeting incredible uh, contributing authors and uh, the feedback, Mike, has been staggering because the stories that we write in this book uh, are the stories of many, many people. Uh, in fact, my essay starts with, it's, it's a series of losses, but what I say is everybody experiences loss. My losses are not unique. They are simply ones that I took and I repurposed and repackaged to move on to a new stage. I, I'm not trying to outloss anybody. Um, I'm just telling a story about my losses. Um, so that's how we got going. I, I again, met these folks uh, a couple of years ago and it's been wonderful. Yeah, I was, uh, I was really curious about the, the, the section in the book on loss. Um, and I'll share earlier this summer, I lost my brother. Um, not, not the one, you know, Carl, uh, my, uh, our older brother, Greg passed away of cancer. Um, so I, I really clued in, um, to, uh, you know, to the essays on loss, um, and I'm curious, Carl, you know, you, you mentioned kind of pivoting away from the law um, and, you know, kind of changing, you know, changing your career. Um, what, what can you share about your essay um, in this book? Well, again, Rosemary shared the prompt and I began to think about this essay and was there one seminal moment? In fact, there was not. It was really a confluence of events that began in 2014 when my then 57-year-old brother-in-law went missing in Arizona. Uh, The very same week, my mother was dying uh, and ultimately died. So these two things happened at once. And uh, that kind of began this whole series of of losses. Uh, I then lost my father-in-law with whom I was very close. And um, really the tipping point was one of my partners, that uh, a law firm partner, very, very close uh, with uh, this gentleman, Dan died in his sleep one night and that was a wake up call. Um, I was in fact, uh, 57 at the time, the same age as my brother-in-law when he went missing. And that's when I decided I need to pivot. Um, and I was cognizant of the Dylan Thomas po- uh, poem, rage against the dying of the light. I, I didn't want my light to be dimmed. Um, so it was a series of losses and, um, I, you know, I quote Denison to start my chapter, uh, all sorrows can be born if you tell a story about them. So that's, that's what I did. I simply told a story about the series of losses and how they led me to where I am today. Yeah. And, you know, certainly, you know, very unfortunate yeah. events. And I know in your, in your essay, you were talking about like a dual wake, uh, situation. Um, and, uh, but, you know, we go through these experiences in life and, 
you know, it's like what we take from them, what we learn from them and how we process them that that I think make uh, not to I mean, pardon the pun here, make the difference in in, in kind of how we come through, uh, you know, the, these, you know, periods of grief. And of course, grief is not like a light switch, right? It doesn't, you know, turn off and, and on. Um, you know, over, you know, X amount of time, it's something that we always live with, but maybe process a little bit differently over time. Well um, said. Well, thank you. Um, uh, maybe I will, uh, write something for, uh, you know, the, you know, uh, round two of this book. Um, but uh, we've, been, we've been thinking about that. <laughs> I'm sure you because have. We, yes. We, we've had actually people approach us to say, Hey, if you're doing a part two, uh, we'd like to be considered. So. Yeah, well, let's let's talk a little bit more about uh, you, Rosemary. I know you you kind of gave us some highlights of you know your your personal journey, kind of leaving not leaving, but you know, pivoting from you know writing for other people to writing your story and capturing your story. Um, what more can you share about that process and and what actually wound up on the pages of of this anthology? Sure. Well, it was nerve wracking to find that 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 pivotal moment. Uh, I was looking at things that maybe happened more recently. But I hadn't really pondered going back to my childhood because uh, I had actually sort of opaqued it out, you know, uh, and because it was very traumatic and, and many of the things happened uh, during that, that time when we first arrived in the United States. Uh, but, but the way I, I told my story resonated with people who had been yanked from their, from their comfort, from the, that, 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 that safety of their, uh, their homeland. And mostly it's more of a sense of, of loss of identity because being Cuban, I am born in Cuba, but I'm a U.S. citizen and I was, I grew up in the United States, but there is this sense of longing to reconnect with my homeland. I have not been able to return for various reasons. I hope that before I die, I will be able to return. And there is, uh, obviously there's huge political barriers to, uh, to any kind of regular, uh, sporadic or spontaneous visitation. But there is, for me, a longing to connect with that identity that I left behind. Now, I happen to live in Miami, which is actually the center of the, of the Cuban diaspora. But still, there is, it, and this is a feeling shared by many of my contemporaries, a sense of still longing to return to the homeland in some significant way, to say, I'm here, I was born here, I belong here. And that belonging is the part that's missing. So that's that's the, the 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 sentiment that I started to to elaborate in those pages, uh, and there's still much more to be written about it. So this is only a beginning for me. I finally broke through and started to mine that 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 uh, resource that's still waiting for me to tell more stories. And and I want to leave that as a as a legacy of sorts to my family who really haven't heard the story before. Yeah, you know, I think we we often take for granted. Um, you know, people who, you know, you know, have lived in the United States for our entire lives um, that, you know, we, we take our home for granted, right? Our home country, I think, for granted. And, and I and I have talked to so many people, you know, be they you know, refugees um, or what have you who just can't go home again. And just that that feeling of, you know, I like I consider, you know, Plantation, Florida, my home, right? I, that's where I was born. Whenever I get off the plane, you know, from Connecticut, to, you know. I, I the the humidity hits me in the face and I feel I'm home again. But um, you know, I, I can only imagine what it feels like when, you know, you you can and when it's just not an option right now. So and then but that that fuels creativity, it sounds like. I mean, that fuels, 
you know, what you what you chose to write about. And, and you I'm sure you bring that to life very authentically uh, in your work. Yes, yes. And, you know, one one thing that uh, that is the connector among all of the contributors is that we've taken our experiences and turned them into coaching, uh, helping others. You know, there's a therapist, there's a there are teachers, there's a a shaman. There's myself. I do uh, public speaking coaching. Akeem is an executive coach. Carl does his work with motivation. And um, I mean, you can go on Mark Silverman, the same. We have a woman boxer, boxing expert who has shown how women can box just like men and, and achieve that, that, that kind of, of, uh, of, of dominance in, in a particular field. And it, that's, that's what we'll do, taking what we've lived and then put it to the service of others, right? And, and that's where I feel that my story uh, has, has resonance with many people. Let me just tell you an anecdote sure. um, from, from my story, which, which has actually become sort of the centerpiece of my, of my essay. I write about uh, going to the airport in Havana with my mother and father and going through the, the gauntlet of, of, of uh, and the abuse that many people who left Cuba at that time were subjected to. Uh, we were you know, strip searched and as such because we were betraying the revolution. This was uh, back in 1962. And so we, it was a, was a, a, a horrific uh, departure. One of the things that happened is I had a doll, a doll that I named Rosita. My name is Rosemary. My doll's name, Rosita. And Rosita was just a plastic doll that I, I had. And it was the only thing I really had with me of, 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 of my room, of my, of my belongings. So the, one of the guards there uh, took the doll looking for contraband inside. He grabbed it from my hands and ripped the head off, shook it upside down to see if there was anything hidden inside, and then looked inside and said, okay, put the head back backwards, and then gave it to my father. And of course, it was all mangled and, and such. And well, we boarded the plane, we're thankful that we got through it and were headed to the United States. And that this doll is in my hand. I'm saying, Dad, what, why, what do I do with this? Can we fix her? He couldn't get her head back on. Uh, well, we ended up leaving it on the plane uh, so that she could go back to the doll uh, hospital in Cuba and be, be fixed. I write about it. The book comes out. A few weeks later, I get a box from Amazon in my doorstep. I open it. It's a doll. Oh. With a beautiful, beautiful note saying, your story touched me so much. And I could relate to the loss of that and what the doll symbolizes, loss of your homeland, that I had to buy you another one to take the place or to, couldn't take the place of Rosita, but in sentiment, be her substitute. I don't know who it is. If anybody's listening to this podcast, please, I'd love to know who you are. And thank you for such a beautiful, generous gesture. So that is evidence that and makes me so, so happy that I touched someone's life so much that that person felt compelled to send me a doll. Yeah. Uh, Carl, I'm curious. Have you had an experience like that? Um, you know, whether it's, you know, from, you know, your contribution to this anthology or just in, in the work you've been doing since um, leaving the law behind? Uh, very much so. And um, it it surrounds this book. Um, and, and I think this, the theme of this book among others is hope. And I'm always mindful. I, I love movie quotes and there's the quote in Shawshank that hope is a good thing. Uh, maybe the best of things and a good thing never dies. And 
I've had feedback. We've collectively had feedback, but I, I got feedback from a, a young gentleman, 23 years old, who told me he lost his father four years prior and he was adrift and he read my essay and my essay gave him hope that he could um, use the loss, for be- lack of a better word, of his father uh, in a more positive way. And, you know, that, that blew me away. I mean, one of the reasons, um, and I mentioned it in my essay, you know, I, the legal profession served me very well. I loved it. I have a, my oldest daughter's in law school. It's a, it's a great education. But at one point I thought, am I just moving money from one side of the ledger to the other? And as Rosemary pointed out, am I in service to the community? I mentioned when I was a boy, I, I was a paper boy. I delivered the morning paper. In the 50s, the United States Postal Service had a, had a postage stamp honoring paper boys for their service to the community. So I really questioned, was I in service? So through this, I'm, we're, we're clearly reaching people because our stories are resonating. But this young guy, a 23-year-old guy who tells me that my essay gave, gives him hope, that, that's better than any courtroom victory. I can tell you that, Mike. Yeah. You know, the two of you um, have similar stories in that you chose to pivot away from something to something else. Um, and I'm curious, you know, how how easy or difficult was that? Rosemary, I'll go to you first on that. I mean, kind of pivoting from, you know, the world of you know writing for other people to writing for yourself. What did you learn about yourself during that process? That it's frightening that it there's a you know it's being on the high wire without a net there isn't the association with a corporation with a company with a title with a business card it's creating your own entity being your own brand that provides guidance services to others so not having that safety net was a significant step it's like suddenly I'm vice president of public relations for a television network, and then I'm just Rosemary Ravenel. And that step has given me tremendous power in a, a sort of tapping into the well that was already always there, but I didn't trust it. And now I do. And that, that taking from my own experience is, is the best guidance we can give to the people we serve and, and help because it comes from an authentic place. And so that lived experience uh, has then given me you know, the resume to be able to provide guidance to people who want to excel in their communications. But, um, but it's, it takes a, a leap of courage, uh, particularly in the second half of life, to say, I'm going to go off on my own. This is something I've always wanted to do. I'm going to just take that leap and actually make it happen. Yeah, I can I can relate to that. I, uh, you know, about 15 or so years ago, I went from working in a very comfortable more corporate environment to being an independent consultant, um, you know, running focus groups all over the country for clients. And, you know, I, I, I wrote a blog post about it. We probably didn't call it blogs back then, but I, I wrote about it and I called it live without a net when I was um, referencing Van Halen's 1985 live, uh, the title of a live, uh, live video that they, that they did. Um, but it, it is scary, right? Cause you are going from, Hey, I'm getting a paid twice a month to I'm getting paid when um, my clients pay me. <laughs> and uh, so it is it is different, although it's scary and and, you know, rewarding um, at, at the same time. 
Um, Carl, how about you? Uh, you, you, you pivoted as well. What did you learn about yourself during your, your pivoting? Well, I echo what Rosemary said, uh, at times it is frightening. I mean, I left the comfort of a large law firm, uh, and which is kind of a euphemism for steady and generous cash flow. Uh, and I went off, but it was a little easier in, in this sense, Mike, um, being a lawyer was never my identity. There are a lot of lawyers. This is not a slam. It's an observation. Uh, their entire identity is wrapped up in the title attorney. Mine never was. So it was easier to uncouple and move on. I mean, some of my partners said, you're really climbing over the wall. Inference, it's, it's a prison wall that, that they've created. Uh, so I was never, and I've, when I do my leadership training and so forth, I say, my birth certificate says Carl R. Fix, Jr. Does not say attorney Carl Fix. And if I called you, I would simply say, hey, this is Carl Fix from Mike Carlin. I wouldn't say this is attorney Carl Fix. It, I didn't, it didn't mean much to me. The profession, again, was meaningful. The title, I could care less. So it was perhaps a little easier to uncouple, but frightening. And on a more granular level, like IT, boy, did I take the IT group for, uh, for granted. And now I'm out on my own, like, oh boy, I hope the tech floor doesn't fall out from under me trying to figure stuff out. You know, I, I was offline the other day with my trainer and it took me an hour to figure that out. And boy, it would have been nice to just call the IT folks. So those little things on a day-to-day -day basis, you do miss, but there is a, um, it's, it's very liberating and in many ways, cathartic, um, and very meaningful. Yeah. And then there's, there's that hope, right? There you're, you're, you know, you, you, you both took risks and it turned out, you know, very well. And, and here you are, you know, inspiring other people perhaps to, to do the same. So bravo, I say. Thank you. Uh, what, um, what was it like? And I know, I think Rosemary mentioned it was about two years putting this anthology together. Um, what, what was that process like? Uh, kind of soliciting, first of all, soliciting essays from from this diverse group of people, and then getting them to a place where where they're publishable. Um, just talk about that journey a little bit. Long, um, uh, requiring a lot of patience. But no, this this wasn't. This is not our only endeavor. You know, we were Hakeem and I were both running our businesses, so this was something that we needed to do sort of in in stages. Or uh, in my case, it was really immersing myself in, in increments, you know, as, as we were getting closer to having at least a first version of a manuscript. But, but working with the individual contributors, making sure that, they, that each one felt comfortable, that there was enough of a, of a sense of, of, of honesty and, and candor in their writing that they, and to also coax them along to telling more, being more, uh, more self-disclosure. Uh, more, more revealing, but still within whatever limits they they wanted to to maintain, no, of privacy, but but to to be able to make them as rich as possible, so that in that richness is the meaning for other people. Uh, so it was working and getting to know the contributors really intimately, because as we were developing their story and and advising each one of them, there was a, a sense of real camaraderie. And they were in this together, and thank you for allowing me to be part of your life in this manner. So it was very bonding, you know. This, these are these are uh, eight individuals, and I think Carl would would agree that that who with whom we have now a permanent bond. We are we're friends for life, and and that so that process was um, was was very was delightful. 
it was painstaking to actually deal with the words on the page. We, we did have a, uh, a copy editor, but still getting those words to make sense. Mind you, we didn't start out with the subtitle of Essays on Loss, Courage, and Personal Transformation. We really didn't know how it was going to come together. It was a jumble. And then we started to see, hey, this story really does reflect the loss. This one does reflect acts of great courage and, and such. So it actually started to gel more in a year into the process. So there was a lot of improvisation, uh, a lot of sort of uh, making, making things happen based on the ingredients that were on our kitchen table, right, to make this wonderful uh, this meal of, of different voices and different uh, points of view different writing styles as well. Uh, so it was, uh, to me, just a, an absolute adventure to see what started just as an idea that I have to, I have to be honest, I didn't really take seriously because it, was, it seems daunting. Like, we're going to write a book? This is going to be an anthology and we're going to get all these people to contribute and to do it on a schedule? It seemed almost impossible, but we, we stuck to, our, to our, uh, our, our plan and surrounded ourselves with the right people to advise us. and. Here we are. So it, it was not easy. I don't think anyone would ever say that writing a book, whether it be an anthology or one that's sole author, uh, is ever easy. Yeah, I know with, with writing and publishing, you need obviously creativity, but persistence and perseverance are two qualities. If, if you don't have them, uh, you're going to find it to be a much more challenging endeavor. Um, so embrace that persistence and perseverance. Um, Carl, how about you? Final thoughts on, on, on this work, the difference essays on loss, courage, and personal transformation before I pivot to something else. Well, it has made a difference, not only in my life, but in the, in the lives of others. And, uh, you know, I'll pull on Rosemary's thread an anecdote, uh, a few of us, um, uh, Akeem and Rosemary would introduce us to others and we read drafts. I read a draft of, of one of the contributing authors and she responded and said, um, thank you for the care and time you took with my draft. I, I was so moved by it that I had to put it down for a day or two, but thank you. And then, so we had that exchange. So it was, it really, really ran deep. Um, and, uh, it, it's continues to, um, so it's, it's been a, uh, it's been a wonderful experience. All right. Well, one of the ways I like to get to know my guests a little bit more is through pop culture. So I'm curious. I'm going to pick on you first, Rosemary. When you were growing up, what were some of your favorite things to watch on television? <laughs> you're, you're putting me on the spot because, well, obviously, you know, if I was seven years old when, in 1962, then you sort of can do the math. <laughs> the favorite things to watch on television. Uh, I, 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 goodness. 77 Sunset Strip, um, The Man from Uncle. I don't know if I did it. Do you remember any of those? Are you old enough to? Oh, no, I, I remember The Man from Uncle because um, I've heard other guests talk about it. But uh. yeah, uh, yeah. So there were there were these that these the these shows that I uh, I loved. I wasn't so much into into cartoons or more. You know, I was more into the adult genre, and then I loved anything that Bird Reynolds did. <laughs> Anything where you are. Smoking the bandit. Yes, any, anything. I thought he was the best. And uh, and so, yeah, so it was uh, n not so much like the, the Barbie, the, the, the feminine culture. Uh, I really liked, uh, you know, 
tough shows that showed people in action, that had resolution. Uh, so, so, yeah, so those were this, some of the things I enjoyed. I mean, I, I got into the Beatles a little bit late uh, in, in my, my adolescence, and uh, but then I gravitated into sort of the, the classic folk of Joni Mitchell and, uh, of course, uh, James Taylor. Um, oh, great, great so. singer-songwriters right there. Yes. Uh, yes. James Taylor was just here in Connecticut a couple nights ago. Yeah. I didn't get a chance to see him, but my brother did. Carl, how about you? Things that you used to like to watch on TV and listen to uh, music-wise when you were growing up? Uh, when I was a kid, I loved Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom uh, because it always amazed me how Jim got, uh, or Marlon Perkins got Jim to do all the dirty work uh, and wrangle the animals. In high school, I was a junkie for Dallas. Oh, yeah. Total Dallas junkie. In law school, I was a Miami, Miami Vice junkie. Uh, that was my Friday night vice, literally, in law school. I, I first went to South Beach last Christmas, and I, I felt like I was in a Miami Vice video. It was awesome. <laughs> Crockett uh, and music. Uh, yeah. Uh, musically, a huge fan of U2. Uh, and I, Jimmy Buffett as well. So I, I like the Stones, U2, Jimmy Buffett. Uh, I like country music, but I've seen U2 a number of times. I, I caught in law school the Joshua Tree Tour in 87, and then they d redid it 30 years later. So I was in D.C., and then I went back with my law school friends 30 years later and saw it again. It was it was very cool to see the arc of their career. I mean, these global superstars. Yeah. Well, we, we may have been separated at birth, Carl, because Jimmy Buffett and you two are the, the two bands I've seen more than, uh, than anybody else in my life. And I did oh. that Joshua Tree tour uh, about five or so years ago when they came uh, through uh, New York. And um, man, that was, uh, that was amazing. Um, that was an amazing, uh, amazing performance. Yeah, I remember in 2014, my then 14-year-old daughter, I took her to a One Direction concert, which should score me points in the Father Hall of Fame because it was brutal. Uh, so in 17, I sent her a little video clip from Joshua Tree, and I said, this is music. with that. Are you uh, going to Vegas for any of the shows um, at the Sphere? No. Yeah. No, I'm I'm not a big Vegas guy. I'm, uh, I've been there a few times. I can't wait to get there. And within 24 hours, I can't wait to leave. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm right there with you. Right there with I you. Agree. I agree. <laughs> uh, Rosemary, if you could write a letter to your younger self, you know, maybe it was that girl who had just had a doll's head ripped off, um, you know, at, at the airport. Um, what, what would you tell your younger self to just give her some words of encouragement? What would you say to her? I would say to her, Stop being a good girl and pleasing other people. Follow your heart. It's okay to not be obedient and to state what you want. Speak up. I stuttered a lot when I was young, a lot. And, and, and by contrast, I made a career out of speaking, but I worked very, very, very hard at overcoming the stutter. So I was very, very quiet, very silent in most of my adolescence, childhood and adolescence. And... I never spoke. I always like, okay, so they would say to me, look pretty and stay in the corner and be quiet. That was the way I was raised. Be a good girl. I always say to myself, forget it. Let it rip. Just be yourself. Go out there, have fun, get dirty, you know, have, do things that sort of break, break the status quo. That's what I would write to myself. 
There you go. I love it. I love it. How about you, Carl? What would you tell uh, a young Carl Fix? I would tell a young Carl Fix to slow it down and appreciate the moment that you're in. Uh, it seemed like we were always doing one thing, putting it down, and then moving to the next thing. I knew as a practicing lawyer, you have a case, it ends, and it's like, okay, what? Where's my next case? You don't even if you whether you won or lost, you know, you you can learn from a loss or you can savor a victory. I never found time for that. Uh, so I would simply advise the younger me to, to slow it down. I, I ride my bike a lot. I run on occasion and a, a, a sunrise, I will stop and just look at it and savor it. Um, because, you know, as I share, as, as you well know from the loss of your brother a few months ago, uh, my brother-in-law, I'm sure didn't believe or think that he was going to disappear when he did. Uh, my friend Dan, when he went to bed that evening, didn't think he was going to die. So I'm just living in the moment and I would tell my younger self to just enjoy what comes your way. There you go. Where can people purchase uh, the book? Um, where can people purchase the difference essays on laws, courage, and personal transformation? It's available on all the major online stores, Amazon, and you can also visit thedifference-book.com. And there are other options to purchase there, but predominantly Amazon. And I must say, one thing that actually has been, to me, enormously gratifying is seeing the reviews and the testimonials we were able to collect and actually publish in the book. Some very prominent people have given us their seal of approval with their, with their kind words. So that, that in itself, to me, is just like... Wow, it's awesome. It's and it inspires me to do more. Yeah, I certainly see. You know, when I when I was looking at um, uh, the book on Amazon, lots of five star reviews, predominantly five star reviews, um, which is uh, which is uh, wonderful. All of those, you know, five stars are filled in. Um, so that uh, that is great. Um, Carl, if people wanted to follow you on social media, are you are you vocal on social? Are there places where people can follow you? Do you have a website you can share? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn and Facebook. Uh, I post every Friday. I riff on my last name and I call it the Friday Fix. And I've been doing it for two and a half years. This morning, I just posted, I, it's like my 150th in a row. Um, and it's really, I try to give a little nugget of wisdom or inspiration to perhaps help folks get through the following week. That's it. Um, but I have a website, uh, carlfix.com, C-A-R-L-F-I-C-K-S.com. All right. Rosemary, how about you? Do you have, uh, are you active on social media? Do you have a website? Very, very, very active. I, I really live on LinkedIn, uh, but uh, you can find all of my links through rosemaryravenel.com. I'm active on Facebook, on Instagram, but mostly you can find a lot of, a lot of content. I, I post a blog weekly on my website. It's all about being a better communicator. All right. Very good. Well, I want to thank you both for uh, being good communicators on uh, this episode of Uncorking a Story and stopping by Uncorking a Story and letting me uncork yours. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for listening to Uncorking a Story. If you'd like more information about today's guest or to find out more about Mike, go to uncorkingastory.com. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in every week to hear Mike Carlin uncork a new story.
You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe.